uh, another good friend of ours, um, Warren Backhouse, I, I love his one liner where he says, everything your horse knows right, you've taught it. And then he pauses for effect. Everything your horse knows wrong, you've taught it. And I reckon that's where it hits home when, when you really got to look at it from their perspective. When we're quick to blame them for something that they're doing, you know, what we might envision is wrong, it, it, it's a reflection more on us than it is of, of them. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. A place where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Turrbal country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present, and future. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. This week's episode is another gem from the four days at Equitana Australia 2018, where I was the MC for the VIP Super Ticket Holder event. This one, as we say in Australia, is a cracker. On this day, I was lucky enough to have Chris Burton, who's one of Australia's best eventers of the modern times. He represented Australia in the 2010 2014 and 2018 World Equestrian Games, the London 2012 Olympic Games and the Rio 2016 Olympic Games where he won a bronze medal on his young horse Santano II. Stacey Westfall, the super decorated western rider, is back once again. Her bio is in the previous episode, so go back and have a listen to that last episode if you'd like to know a little bit more about her. It's a great episode all in itself. Then there are the double Dans, Dan Steers and Dan James, who conduct clinics all around the world and are also really great entertainers, as you're about to hear. Their show includes horsemanship, trick riding, comedy and a whole lot more. This is one of the moments I will not forget about Equitana. And I will tell this story for years to come. This is the day where one of the top equestrians of the modern times learned something from a couple of Aussie cowboys. This shows a strength in Chris Burton and a humbleness to be open to this kind of learning, especially in front of a live audience. It also shows that no matter who you are, you have value. And it also shows the incredible spirit that is Equitana. This is what this thing is all about. It's about bringing horse people from different disciplines together and finding that they have so much in common and so much that they can teach each other. It was a really beautiful moment. Another massive thank you to Equitana Australia for giving me the opportunity to MC this event and also record it and broadcast it so you can listen to it right here, right now. Oh, and the moment where you hear the double Dan say thank you and Chris Burton ask for his beer and Stacey ask for the mocha, well, that's the moment when one of the crowd decided to bring the two cowboys, Dan and Dan, a beer. Also, know that the baby that you hear in the podcast is a part of the podcast. So if you've got headphones on and you're hearing a child and you think you might be going crazy, you're not. There was a small child up the back of this interview. I really hope you enjoy this episode and can laugh along with us all. It was a lot of fun, but also it's packed with so much gold. There's great information in here. Here is Chris, Stacy, and the Double Dans. Okay, I'm pretty sure we all know who these guys are, but I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves anyway. 
tell us who you are and what it is that you do. Well, hello everyone, welcome to Equitana. I'm Chris Durbin, I'm a course in Australia. I'm based in the UK these days for my city and uh, excited to be here. Can we have the speaker standing up? We can't hear down the back. We can't see. Can we get the speaker? How's that? <laughs> nice to see you all. I'll pass it over to the next person so they can stand up. She's much better to look at. <laughs> I'm Stacy Westfall and I am based out of Ohio and I'm very impressed with how many people know where that is and so <laughs> I do keep saying just north of Kentucky so maybe that helps and I am best known for either the cult starting or the bareback bridalist freestyle reigning but what I really love to do is teach people how to understand and enjoy and find success with their horses. Um, I'm Dan Steers and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and, and that is the story right there of Double Dan Horsemanship on always trying to follow this guy when he comes out with lines like that. Uh, I'm real lucky to be, uh, you know, obviously an, an Aussie here and actually went through with uh, Chris here on the Andrew Pony Club as, as kids. So there's a it was pretty cool going to the World Equestrian Games this year and looking across and seeing this fella here and knowing where it all got started here uh, in Australia. Uh, these days I reside in Lexington, Kentucky. And of course, uh, the other half, main half, Double Dan, horsemanship here, Dan Steers, is in Tamworth. That, that, you're, you're an alcoholic too. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I always feel like when we're in this thing, it's like we're in an AA meeting somewhere. So I just, that's, that's why I always start with that line. All right, you guys are here and do what you do, and you're up there with the best in the world, like you really are. What do you think it is that takes to be the best at something? What can we take away today if we really want to give it a go? Yeah, you too. You, the guy from Tamworth as well. We know how good you are. That's, that's a difficult question. Um, I, I guess what I believe in is tenacity and a never-say-die attitude, which Australians have so much of, and perhaps that's why we're so successful in championships and Olympics and things like that for a small nation. But I, I believe in tenacity. What do you think? The same. <laughs> <laughs> what else, Stacey? What do you really think? What, do you re what, what does tenacity mean to you, though? And how do, how do we take it to where we want to be? So I think that it is... I think it's really important that you have to you have to have some kind of a passion or love. We hear these words thrown around, and it's because when the going gets tough, you still have to stick with it. Because it looks easy because of the thousands of hours that have gone in, and it looks easy because of all the failures that we've run into and then stood up from and kept going. And so it's it's not it's not it's so much not magic. When you're, when you're out there and it's too hot and it's too cold and it's too dusty and, it, and you're too tired and all that kind of stuff. And so, to me, that's where you find out, are you going to stick with this? And that's the question, that's the tenacity, and that's where I think it goes. Beautiful. Yeah, really, following on from that, in, in my deal, in talking about determination, I just say, if you can be talked out of it, don't do it. You know, and Dan and I do what we do because you couldn't talk us out of it. Everybody's tried. They say you can't make any money out of horses and... 
you know, do another career and this and that. Wouldn't matter what you said, we're still going to give it a go. And I think if you think like that, um, just like these guys up here, then, then you will be successful in, in whatever it is you choose to do. I'm going to steal something from uh, Duncan, who runs the uh, Cutting Horse Online, and there was a conversation. We had to catch up with uh, with Brett and Duncan while uh, back in the states. There, uh, Brett Parbury was there with us. That's um, who I'm referring to. And and Brett said to Duncan, he said, "Well, he said you, you must get to see and get to know all the best." Uh, you know, cutting techniques that you could possibly, you know, get to know, you know, to see. He said every every week you're going out videoing somebody, all these great trainers and that. He said, you know, like what better opportunity to learn than than to doing your job? And uh, Brett said, so what what's the common thread? What's the ma- most important thing that those guys do uh, to be at that elite level? And uh, Duncan said uh, they get up every morning and do it again. That was it. That, that was the most common thread. Beautiful. Now you all ride different, similar, different disciplines and different types of horses and things. Talk to me about, have you tried other disciplines of the people sitting here? What do you respect about other disciplines? Well, I think that eventing for a start must be the craziest of all. So, <laughs> Agree. Yeah, we've got, we've got the, uh, cowboy hats on and, you know, um, both Dan and I at times think that we you know, could ride a bronc or something like that, which we're both very terrible at. But you think you're pretty tough for having a go or jumping on a bull or something. But when Dan and I went uh, not only just to Wegg but also to Adelaide and, uh, and, and saw the cross-country course, I thought these guys are the craziest equestrians <laughs> in all disciplines, so I've got a heap of respect for those guys and I don't think they have, uh, I guess, very much self-preservation. Maybe Chris could, could uh, elaborate on that a bit more. Well, that's actually a really nice compliment. That's good to hear. Thank you. But um, the interesting thing, we were invited to judge the, the way of the horse and watch the amazing guys break in those horses yesterday. And the thing that was very obvious to me that the wonderful thing about equestrian is it's fundamentally the same, isn't it? There's very little difference. And, and the nice thing about the World Equestrian Games, as you said, or things like that, is when we get together, we all have such a similar, a similar the, the goals and, and, and similar foundations and thoughts and ideas are, are very much the same. And I think that's the really lovely thing. I, I don't know, I think Dan's probably done the most between us all. You did some eventing, mate. Dan James and I did first competed in the boy rider class at Bell Showgrounds. Which you beat me at. <laughs> there was two in it. <laughs> and then we used to chase girls around the eventing scene in the showgrounds. He was convincing at that. Yes. What else have you tried, Stacey? What respect do you see when you look at other disciplines? I am. I'm very thankful that. I'm living in this age where you can so easily learn about all the different disciplines and that people are open. You can, you can, you can just learn. And so I've, I've enjoyed trying most everything. I also rode around Rolex course and was like, these jumps are so much bigger than my horse. Like, I've, wow, I haven't gone there because I'm scared of heights and I don't know. We, we got issues there, but I love, I love studying all of it. I mean, um, and I've been taking dressage lessons and showing in Western dressage and mounted shooting, which most people don't know what that is over here is what I'm finding. 
Um, so it's kind of like barrel racing with a gun and you're shooting. It does sound very American, as you say. Very American. <laughs> you're, you're popping balloons with, yeah, anyway, it's complicated. It's safer than it sounds, but it's fast at speed. And um, I have to admit, I'm gonna have to try working equitation with one of my rainers. So I love experimenting and learning from all the different disciplines. Did we nail that one? Have you got another? You have nailed it. Okay, I've got one more question for these guys, and then I'm going to ask you guys for questions and come around and get your questions. So have a think about it, and I'll get you to put your hand up in a second. Now, you're all here, and we all want to know a lot about what it is that you do. What's one thing that you want us to know, if there's one thing you want us to know when we leave, if you've done an amazing job, tell me one thing that we can take home with us from Equitana, from you. Well, going back to you know the horsemanship side, which Chris already spoke about, which it's universal, it doesn't matter what discipline you're in. Um, we get to, both Dan and I, and, and just like these guys, get to do a lot of teaching, and, and you're looking for that common thread, like Dan spoke about before, in where, you know, where we think we can all improve. And I think one of the mistakes um, that a lot of us make is, is we still want to see things from, we want the horse to see things from our perspective, when we need to take a look from their perspective a lot more. We always seem to be relating them to humans, as much as you know it's a horse. But when we look at it, you know, we think about their emotions being the same as ours. Like I've got somebody, you know, and even ladies sometimes come up and say, my horse is an asshole. And it's like, it's, it's an emotion he doesn't understand. Um, so so I, it's, it's, that's a label that we put on it to, to, to help explain it. And that's where I'm thinking is, as, as much as you're all aware they're not humans, but we seem to keep going back there. So I try to get, I guess when I teach in our clinics, to people look at it from their perspective, what they are looking for. Uh, another good friend of ours, um, Warren Backhouse, I, I love his one-liner where he says, everything your horse knows right, you've taught it. And then he pauses for effect. Everything your horse knows wrong, you've taught it. And I reckon that's where it hits home when, when you really got to look at it from their perspective. When we're quick to blame them for something that they're doing, you know, what we might envision is wrong, it, it, it's a reflection more on us than it is of, of them. The same? The, I know. So, if I could have you guys take away one thing, it would be go around and watch the different disciplines and try to figure out the common thread. Instead of trying to look and see what's so different about what each person is doing, try to look and see what that common theory is that is being applied across, whether it's the cult starting, whether it's the jumping, whether it's the liberty or the reigning or the whatever else you see going on here, look for the common thread because when you find that common thread, however you view it, you're going to view life through your own personal lens. But when you find that common thread that you see, that's when you'll be able to take it home and use it with your horses. Well, I'm fumbling for words. I think that these two have said it all. It's, um, yeah, you've really got me thinking a lot, Dan. It's a very human thing to do to project our emotions onto others and onto our animals, and it's such a common flaw, I guess. I'm racking my brain trying to think what the commonality is between top horse people. So I don't know, that might be a question for the audience. Um, but I agree, but yeah, focus on what's important and don't get lost in the things that uh. Well, 
A little while back, it was uh, particularly after I'd, I'd busted my leg and, and I had a lot of time in that to think about it. And I found myself in a situation where what I was doing with my horses, I, I found that I felt pretty selfish about it. That everything that I wanted them to do, you know, really, I was like, nah, it doesn't really benefit, benefit them. But the realisation that I came to on this is that without the education to the horse, then he doesn't have a future. Because at the end of the day, it's his education that, that makes him valuable, right? Because the horses that are really well educated, they're not the ones ending up in the doggers or the slaughterhouse or other places. But in getting to that point of education, what I find is that there's a lot of people out there that also, when they, they come along in the clinics and they've got you know, a great well, they come along to here, but when it really push comes to shove, I know that for any of the horses that, that these guys have up here, and our own included, I feel like if something happened to any one of us, that tomorrow that there would be a line of people willing to take on our horses. Why? Because they're educated. And so I, I really believe that the longevity of the horse comes down to his education. That's what's going to ensure his, his life you know, forever of being taken care of. So I think that as horse owners and trainers that we have a responsibility to you know, let people know that you know, if that horse has just turned out wild and we had to do all that tomorrow, Think of what that would cause. It's the, without those horses being educated, they don't have value. As much as we love them, but that's, that's at the end of the day, that's where they're gonna be looked after. I know. Okay, hands up if you have, oh look, there was a hand straight away. How could I not go straight to that? Looks like an auction there. <laughs> hands hands flying everywhere. I, I either speak too soft or too loud into these things, I don't know. Um, look, I do have a very grave and serious thing to report before we start, and that is that um, someone has eaten all the chocolate biscuits, so I think we need to hold an inquiry before we go any further. And, um, but now, on a serious moment, uh, each of you, from the first day you get your first horse, sorry, you get a new horse on day one, and the last day you're with that horse, what's the single most important thing, what's the single most imp important principle that your horsemanship would... Uh, what, what principle do you use and what's the thing most important never to do with a horse? What's the worst thing you can do with a horse? What's the best thing you can do with a horse? And what are the principles? Hey, can you ask a bit of an easier question? How, how long have you got? What's the best thing? What's the worst thing? What's, I mean, in, in my mind, you know, we're trying to answer your questions when you guys throw them at us. And, and I just think, like, really keep this one simple. Your release is your reward. So when you talk about pressure and you're thinking about, you know, what's right, what's wrong, that's determined by us. So when I think about it, I'm like, well, what is it that you want to teach your horse versus what they want to teach your horse? But it's really coming down to understanding your horse and, and that comes from that release of pressure. That's the biggest part that we try to hit home, um, you know, whether it's these guys jump or Chris jumping jumps or uh, Stacey, you know, stopping a horse. They want those horses looking at that as, as it's actually the reward to be able to stop and the reward to be able to jump and the re reward to be able to spin or lay down and rear up all the stuff you might see us, us guys do. And, and that's the part that I think if you're talking about from a horsemanship perspective, you just got to keep coming back to because we find uh, when people are working with their horses, their horses are, are busy trying to figure out ways to get out of things. So that's where they get that resistance built up from and evasions built up from. But if they're actually willingly doing it, then they're actually trying to find ways to get into it. You know, they're trying to figure out ways they like, you know, you're going to pull the reins out of Chris's, Chris's hands to try to jump the jump. You know, so that's a bigger problem for him is making sure, I know you're keen, but just 
way wide and then we're going to allow you to jump. Just the same way as you see, um, you know, Stacey, which she was saying she's more famously known for that uh, bareback and bridleless ride. That, that's the only way that was achievable was through willingness. That, you know, there's no way she was making that horse do it. That horse could have taken so many options to evade that deal and that's why it was so impressive. No. I'll take a stab at the worst thing and for me what I've experienced so far worst thing was early on the I could feel the pressure of people whether that was an owner or whether that was you know coming giving a clinic somebody else putting pressure on me and then me being tempted to put that pressure on the horse and that was a line in the sand I had to find and feel and be like this is how I train, this is what I believe, and you can put as much pressure on me as you want. I will not translate that down to that horse. I will not be the one that will then push this horse in ways. So it became a, a line in the sand. So for me, the worst thing would be if I allowed somebody to tell me that I had to achieve and do this, but if I had to put that, I want to achieve and I want to do stuff, but I'm not gonna do it at a way that's gonna compromise my values as a horse trainer. Yeah, that's brilliant. You guys are giving me a lot to think about. I feel a bit stupid <laughs> over here. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll add to that a little bit, and you're exactly right, is that as sports are progressing, the, and they're becoming more commercial. We're seeing a lot of prize money in our sport and in some of the sport, equestrian sports, huge amounts of prize money, and then it's adding pressure again, which may or may not be fair to that animal. And so we ha all have to be conscious of it and all have to work together to do the right thing by these lovely animals that we love. I'll, I'll defer a little bit. I'll talk about what, um, what's the first thing I do with my horses. And, and I can think very recently, I've had a lovely horse turn up in my yard from an owner and and I, do, I, I looked for a lot of horses before I found this horse and at, at the risk of sounding materialistic, I have to be attracted to that horse. I have to, be, I have to find something about that horse appealing, whatever it is. And one of the things I find myself noticing or find myself um, saying on my yard is it, it, it doesn't necessarily even have to be a talented horse that wins. So one of my favorite horses on our yard and all the girls love him as well. He's completely useless, he hasn't won a class. <laughs> and he's just the softest thing, you know, we take our one-year-old baby boy up to him and he wants to sniff him and is very soft and very quiet around him and them and that horse has got a home with us for life because he's just such an adorable character. So it's, it's, it's interesting, it's not all about winning, I guess. Okay, my question is, um, for each of you, um, what horse has basically explained a little bit about the horse itself, but um, what, um, I suppose, did they teach you? Like, what's the biggest turning point, I suppose, you had? And tell us a bit about the horse themselves and why that was. <laughs> we really want to get to know you. <laughs> Boots at all. Uh, look, I think when it comes to... I guess learning about you know what what have the horses sort of taught me is to to be more observant. Um, I think that as as our time and our horsemanship has continued to uh, grow and to I, I believe become better, um, that I've become more observant of the horse. And what I mean, how does that kind of like apply in a practical situation? 
there were, there were times I, I certainly missed on a lot of horses, times that they, you know, offered a lot of try and, and I missed and it might be something as small as a rain or something as big as, you know, running down there and wanting to stop or wanting to rear. Um, so I think that the, the main, you know, thread that I've found is that they've taught me to be more observant. Keep that one real short, I just think humble. And, and it's not down to one horse, it's almost down to all of them. Like you can get a little bit caught up sometimes, you know, with your own ego and thinking that you're going all right, but they will level you so fast <laughs> that your head will spin. So there's no point getting caught up with it. Like the, the best thing about what Dan and I get to do when we travel around to these sort of expos is hang out with, with, with the likes of, uh, you know, Chris and Stacey here and, and, and people that are elite in their field. And it's cool because they're all so humble. And, and I think that comes back down to the horse. I guess when you asked your question, it made me think about different horses that I've had, and and that's when I when I have a horse for a short amount of time, I want to learn from any horse. But the beauty of having a relationship with a horse for a long amount of time is it's just like developing a friendship. I can meet one of you at the booth, talk to you, have some kind of connection. But the longer we have that friendship with that horse and that relationship, then that's where the beauty can come, where I can really really start to learn deeper things about the horses and every key horse there's so many as chris said they they might not be the superstars there's so many of these little golden nugget lessons that have come from wow a, a really insecure horse can be turned to be a powerhouse a really you know a really powerful horse can be harnessed but and not three four there's all these little nuggets and for me each one of them has a specific horse tied to those nuggets and some of them are horses at a clinic that i only spent 45 minutes with doing a trailer loading demo and I could still see that little that little thing happen and that was kind of their gift to me and it's just the coolest thing that I do this as a profession. Yes, um, so, so many lessons but I was to go down the same line really. To be honest, I had a lot of life lessons. <laughs> um, I teach clinics and have done for a while now all over the world and, and I never to relate to the audience I find myself talking about you know um, wives not not nagging husbands in the same way you shouldn't do this to or husbands not nagging wives but you pointed to the dance when you said that <laughs> um, in the way that I hate seeing equestrians kick with a nagging dull leg um, I really don't like to see this and I think it's torturous for the horse or in the same way someone can hang on to the horse's mouth with a dull hand um, I don't like this and, and I would also give the same analogy that you must be clear with your horse and set clear boundaries and it's kinder even if you're strict in the moment as long as the boundaries are very clear and I would talk about parenting and say that it's the same with raising children I have a one year old now so I've stopped doing that And it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> I just wanted to ask about connection. When you've got a connection with a horse or a friendship, as Stacey said, on the ground, grooming, bathing, feeding, treats, all those sorts of things, but then when you get on the horse, the friendship's not so great. <laughs> How do you bond with that horse on the, in the riding sense as well as on the ground? I'll actually pick up with something that um, Chris just said. And a lot of times what happens, what I see is boundaries. And what'll happen is somebody might be confident handling their horse on the ground. And then when they get up on their back, they're not as confident. They don't set the boundaries. 
And kids, I, mine are older, and so I do use them um, because I remember dropping the kids off at grandma's house one day, and, sh and they were real little single digits, and they said, is it, grandma said, is it okay if we pay them to pick bags full of apples? And while we were there, they came back in, it took two of them to carry this grocery bag full of apples, she gave them 25 cents. We left, we came back a couple hours later, and there's this big fluffy pile of bags in the corner, and I picked it up, and there was one apple in each bag, and grandma never changed the pay rate. <laughs> So with horses, I now call it grandma's rules because they will move just as swiftly as however long it took us to get out the driveway because looking at the bags, it was like three bags. That It took like a full bag, a half bag, three apples in a bag, and one, and they figured out grandma never changed the rules. And horses will do the same thing. So you can build your confidence on the ground, and I absolutely believe in it. But if you lose it when you swing up on their back, they will absolutely own that too. <laughs> Good. Okay. I think we're ready for another question. Nailed it. Oh, when you just paused for a second after you said, like, I get a lot from my kids, and then you said dropping them, <laughs> I'm glad you then said at grandma's house, because you had, like, a moment, and I'm like, I learned a lot from my kids, I just drop them. And I'm like, really? We can't do that in Australia. They take the kids off you for that. Okay, guys. Um, I'd like to know what's your most memorable achievement professionally and what's your biggest disappointment you've had and the reasons why. <laughs> These are such great questions. You're an awesome crowd. Um, do, do you know, I've had many fond memories of, of successes in, in my sport and um, I was reminded recently that I said, Perhaps my fondest memory was our, a team win, would you believe it? So Australia um, beat Germany and France in the Nations Cup in Aachen in the lead up to Rio. And without a doubt, that is my fondest win because I had a good friend over from Australia, good mates in the team. And for some reason, despite all these other wins that are very memorable for me, that one was really actually in my memory. Um, yeah, and, and of course I've had some shockers too, so there's not time enough to list them. Oh, my, um, the, probably the strongest win would have been the 2006 Road to the Horse, only because I, when I signed up for it, it was not a big deal to me, like, I, and, and, and I ended up joking around with the producer leading up to it saying, I do not remember in the contract where it said I was going to be representing all women. <laughs> because for as soon as they announced my name, the way the publicity got twisted was, she's representing all women, representing all women. And every article that was, uh, how does it feel to represent all women? And I was like, holy cow, how did that happen? And so needless to say, winning was uh, a relief <laughs> or something because it had become more. Otherwise, yeah. There's, there's always different things, but the, most of my fond memories aren't around the, the winds. There are these little quirky things that happen around the barn and knowing the horses, but for that reason, I'll claim that one. Uh, it's actually changed for me a bit since having kids, and I know if it's happened to you guys as well, but it's really shifted my perspective on it all and put, put a lot of it 
Um, I guess, you know, I used to think a lot about, about achieving something. I wanted to win this or win that. And then you, you sort of get that moment for a little bit and then you go, well, now I want to do something else to sort of try to top that. But having kids was, was really a revelation for me going, it just put everything into perspective as far as looking at, you know, the goals and things that we might set on ourselves. And, and when you come back, like it doesn't matter what you may have won or how bad you may have done, and you come home and the little kids are there, they don't care either way. And, and that's been something for me that I've really enjoyed about having kids. When they just come running up to you, you, you could have had the, what you believe is the worst day or you could believe is the best day, and they won't treat you any different. Um, so since I've sort of, like I said, changed my ideas on it, <clears throat> I, I think it's then also helped me relate to, to my horses and, and life and not sort of look at it as necessarily achieving those goals because I think you can then get really disappointed if, if something you know, bad happens and you think, well, why did that happen? Why did that happen? And, and I know you guys are in Victoria. This is a mad football town, so I, I love watching my AFL. And there was a coach that uh, was about to be sacked last year that he was just going so bad and they were all like gun for his head. And then this year he has a team that's depleted with injuries and then they go and play in the grand final. And so then the, uh, the uh, a, um, journalist asked him, well, what do you think about that? Like, you know, and he, ha and he had an embrace with his son and he's like, what did you say to your son just before they got in the grand final? And he said, oh, we talk about life lessons and I just told him it's never as bad or it's never as good as it seems. And when he said that, it just hit me and I just thought that's like the perfect way to sum that up. You know, don't, don't ride the highs too high and then don't ride the lows too low and I think if you can do that you've got a good chance of, uh, of surviving. Thanks mate. <laughs> uh, look I've been fortunate enough to you know to win a few different things from cold starting and some freestyle rainings and, and different things. Um, what I what I have found though is that I've always learned way more on the days that I've lost than I ever did on the days that it turned out. And there's been plenty of days where I don't think I should have. And you kind of walk away, you know, wondering what happened. And then there's days that you, you have one that you feel like it's handed to you that maybe you didn't deserve. So it's very, uh, you know, fickle how that, um, you know, part seems to seems to come along. I, I think, you know, it's, it's hard uh, not to, uh, you know, I guess in terms of going back to the question, one of the most memorable type um, ones was, you know, probably two things that actually happened this year. Uh, one of them was being able to go along and be a part of the Australian team at the World Equestrian Games. Just, like, for me, just making it to there, like, was unbelievable. And then to get to go and to hang out with people that I've, you know, idolised and looked up to and that for, uh, you know, for many years in, you know, across the other equestrian sport was, um, I mean, that was, yeah, pretty damn cool. And the, the other, other one was, was actually uh, an event that went... Up the up the shit this year at Road of the Horse, um, but the the coolest moment about it was is at the end of it that um, you know having mates and and being able to do our deal like with Dan here, and at the end where we got to run out around the arena like two crazy people with um with the flags after having a good 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 run. They're, they're two of the things that probably stick out to me the most. I'm interested to hear. Interested to hear about 
the light bulb moments that have occurred through your career where you might have been going along on one track and then had the sudden realisation that, ah, oh, it doesn't work like that. Maybe it, it's actually different and this is better. Come on, Chris, you look like you've got this nailed, mate. <laughs> I just want to say thanks, Nick. Thank you. Can I have a beer also? <laughs> I, I'm going to have to think about that. I'm sorry, I haven't got a good answer. Um, because, and it's really not the answer you're looking for, but I, I sort of learnt early that I could see the way forward and that was to stick to your guns. Of course, that doesn't mean you're always right and it doesn't mean I haven't adapted and changed, but I, I don't remember having a light bulb moment. I, I, I to be honest, was always knew where I was going and, and decided that to get there, I just mustn't deviate. I'm guessing he's got a pretty good light. What do you guys reckon? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a mocha. <laughs> 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 it's a mocha. And, uh, no, pass on that. But I can see, I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around and I'm not sure if it's the lack of uh, caffeine or the idea that the, <laughs> caffeine, the, or the idea that there is this straight line to mine was always going to be horses, but there have been these moments. But what's fascinating is they have come in this down times much more than ever in the up times. <laughs> and and they've been, in the downtimes, they are as dramatic as they look like in the movies, even if the highs aren't as high. Like, it's like this, oh, the struggle, but the direction was always clear. And what's fascinating to me is that the biggest light bulb moments have all been in my head. They, they're they're this, the struggle. They're not like, there's little things you, you pick up from the horses and you, and you pick up from the customers you're interacting with or whoever. But again, it's just like I reflected earlier. It, it's like deciding my values, deciding my things, and those are, those are internally driven. And so I have no idea if that added any clarity or value to your question. <laughs> Once that beer turned up, I had just switched off for a second. So I wasn't 100% uh, sure even on the question, but I, I, it helped. Don't worry, you have something to say. Exactly. It helped me, it helped me remember, uh, you know, to keep myself you know, really open. I, I just don't take myself too serious. And, and it was when Dan and I started the Double Down Horsemanship, we got a bit of help in the States, we had a marketing group. And, and I remember they said, uh, you know, you've got to come up with like a tagline and, and something that really represents you guys, like a mission statement that, that you really believe in. Uh, and when they did that, they sort of threw it back on us. They can't decide it. It had to come from Dan and I. So like a lot of good ideas, we always go down to the pub and, and, have, and have a little team meeting and, and Dan came up with one and at the time I totally rejected it but I think I'm more on board with it now than, uh, than he was at the time, which he said, we, we might not be the best but we're the funnest and, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, that's terrible for a business, that sounds terrible and yet I use that nearly at all my clinics because, uh, and if you guys come around to our demos, you know, hopefully what you see is that we're enjoying our horses and then I've got a pretty good you know, guess that they're enjoying it too. And, and that's why they're so humbling, because if you do take yourself too serious, then, then, then they'll just squash that for you anyway. So with that, it keeps my mind you know, really free and open and, and just helps, I think, achieve the goals that I want to achieve. 
Okay, we've got one last question. Hi guys, uh, assuming you guys think that training horses is easier than training the humans, um, has there been anything that you kind of, or any advice you've got in regards to that coaching the people and teaching them and breaking things down and, and that kind of stuff? Actually, I got a really good one, and I know I'm talking a lot up here, but um, what the kids have actually taught me to take back to my, especially with my green horses, is is don't show them the things that they don't know. You know, like if you, if you're trying to teach your kids, you really want to encourage them with the things that they know, what you've taught them, and you you do that, don't you? So when whenever it is, whether it's you're teaching them spelling or or writing or math, once you teach them something, you're like, you're really good, you're going good, and then you build and you build to, to whatever it might be. But sometimes with horses, it's like we want to start at the top and we show them there's something they don't know and then we make them aware of it, then we make them scared of it and we try to sort of push them through it. Now, it was our fault in the first place because we didn't set them upright. So with my young horses and my green horses, it's even a bit like, say, if you guys are starting them under saddle and you start teaching them you know, to canter with the rider for the first time and then all of a sudden it's like, no, he must canter on the correct lead, but yet we haven't taught him a lead departure. So now he doesn't get the right lead, so now we're pulling him back to trot and then we start kicking him again to get him in the canter and then he gets the wrong lead again, so we, we jerk on him again and then we're showing him that you don't know what the correct lead is, even though that we haven't taught him the body control that requires lead departure. So if I just ask for canter and he counters, that's the correct answer, isn't it? So I try to want to really think when I'm starting my horses is, is I'm doing the right thing by setting them up, you know, with the things that I'm teaching them so that they can get the correct uh, answer to the question rather than, like I said, asking a question that they don't know the answer to and then try to try to push them into getting it. Maybe I got lost on it. You were talking more about the person. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when, you, when you train back the other way, you teach the person. Well, I, I just want to make sure that before yeah. I went to try to um, answer it. I told you I lost in the beer <laughs> Uh, you know, for me, when it comes to, to trying to teach people, I, I think I, I've always tried to go and do, um, you know, really different things, whether it be, you know, snowboarding or even, I know it doesn't look like I'm going to the gym or, you know, other, other things. Because what, it does, what I found that that does is that it's very easy to get so caught up in, in what we do and it feel like so much like being second nature that it's easy to get frustrated with people. But when you take yourself out and go and do something else and you go back and you have that whole learning experience over again, you're like, you know, they're asking you to do, just to do the simplest of tasks and it's so difficult to do because it, it doesn't make sense and it doesn't feel natural. Um, that's the part that I always try to go back to um, in teaching people is, is you know, you, you want, you don't want to, I've never found it ever worked to embarrass somebody, make them feel stupid. Um, and if I've, you know, experienced that, I, I, I try to remember what that felt like to make sure I don't put that person um, in that position. However, I do require their respect. And they're the same. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for coming in today. And thank you to Chris Stacey and the Double Down. If you'd like to get in touch with Chris, Stacey or the Double Dance, you can follow the links in the show notes or you can go to the blog on my website where there are photos of the day to go along with the links. It's at comealongfortheride.com.au I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. 
If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts, or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd also love it, really love it, if you get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine. So please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's something you'd like me to research more and really speak about at length or even just in a short way, let me know. I'd love, love, love to serve you guys more. Anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.